0: But before we get into our study, uh, I just wanted to share a little bit of something that the Lord laid on my heart yesterday. I went and I got coffee with a good friend of mine um, down at Coffee Depot. I had forgotten that there's like incredible swing dancing every Monday night at Coffee Depot. Has anyone ever been to that? Okay, there's a few people. I had, I had forgotten about it. Like I, someone had told me at some point and I was like, oh man, well, let's go get coffee. Aaron, Aaron goes swing dancing all the time. All the time. <laughs> but uh, I decided, hey, you, know, I, I called up my buddy Ben, and I, I hadn't seen him for a while, and I said, "Well, let's go down uh, to Coffee Depot, meet you at eight o'clock." And apparently that's when swing dancing starts. And so I showed up, and I'm like, "What is going on here? The place is packed." And uh, so we, we found like the quietest corner that we could find, And uh, we just started talking. Ben's a great guy. I graduated with him from Woodcrest Christian High School, and he's, uh, he's at Biola now. And uh, so we were just talking about what's going on in each other's lives, and, and he was sharing with me that he next year is going to be an RA uh, for a bunch of freshmen and transfer students, first-time transfer students to Biola. So we were talking about it. I was really stoked for him about it. And, uh, you know, I asked him, I'm like, Ben, well, do you think you're ready, you know, to be able to do something like that? And he shared with me a story, and I'll share it with you very quickly. Um, His RA for this last year, if you don't know uh, what an RA is, uh, RA is a resident advisor, and basically they sit on a hall. Uh, They're usually older than the students who are living on that hall at at a college campus. And uh, they're basically there specifically at a Christian school to disciple the people that are on that hall and to be able to enforce the rules that the school has. So I asked him, Ben, you know, are you you ready to do this? Are you ready to disciple 26 guys, basically, and to uh, pour into them and love on them and hold them accountable? And he he told me about his last RA that he had. And this guy, I guess, was just the total soccer stud, Joe cool, really awesome guy. Everybody, you know, thought he was the, the coolest kid at school. But what got Ben so stoked on this guy, his old RA, was that every time he talked to you, it's just love oozed out of this guy onto you. And he didn't try and preach at any of the guys. He just loved on him. He just encouraged him, loved on him, would grab him. Hey, how are you doing? What's going on in your life? How you been? How'd that Tesco that you had? And he would just love on him. And then along the way, he'd be able to, to slip little things in. You know, about uh, his personal walk with Christ and things that the Lord was showing him. And he was able to be a huge witness to the guys on his hall. And it got me to, to really thinking about the importance, the importance of love. My life verse uh, is John thirteen thirty five. What I try and live my entire life by is this verse. And it, it's actually written on the front of my Bible. Normally, like, you get your name engraved on there, and I have John thirteen thirty-five because every time I look at my Bible, I want to remember that this is how I want to live my life. It says, by this, Jesus speaking, all will know that you are my disciples. So Jesus is, in effect, saying, this is your calling card as Christians. This is how everybody's going to know that you're a Christian, that you follow me, that you're a Jesus freak. This is how they know that you have love for one another. That you have love for one another. And as Ben and I were talking about it, it, it brought a, another uh, scripture to mind. 1 John 4, 7, and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. God is love. How I know that song, yeah, we are. We're going to sing it. I know that song because it's a, I know that scripture because it's a scripture worship song. Uh, If you don't know this song, you'll catch on really quick. Uh, But if you do, follow after me. Beloved, let us love one another. Beautiful ladies, for love is of God and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God, but he that loveth not Knoweth not God, for God is love. Yeah, beloved. Let us love one another. First John 4, 7 and 8. Now, if you've never heard scripture worship before, I'm sure you're tripping out. Like, what are these people doing singing off key acapella to this cheesy kids' song? You know, it may be a cheesy kids' song, but if you can memorize a song, you can memorize that scripture. And uh, and because I memorized that cheesy kids song, you know, as I was talking to Ben about love, I was able to recall that that uh, that piece of scripture, First John four seven and eight. And I just want to encourage you, family. I want to ask you a question: How have you loved today? How have you loved today? You know, I talked about last week that we're going to be studying the entire Bible, Genesis through Revelation, through the lens of what Jesus said are the two greatest commandments. Jesus took all of the commandments in the Bible and he said, you can sum all of these up, all the law, all the prophets, the entire Bible. You can sum everything up in two statements, the two greatest commands. The first was to love the Lord your God with all your heart soul, mind, and strength. And the second was to love your neighbor as yourself. And so my question for you family is, how have you loved today? When when Ben and I were talking about him being an RA and the greatest example to him of a of a solid Christian man was just this guy that loved the people that he came in contact with. It made me realize that Truly, family, the greatest testimony that we could ever have is love. You want to be a testimony? You want to share Christ with people? You want to live a life that gives God glory and points people to him? Or are you going to do that through helping the the poor and the homeless and the needy? Oprah does that. She does a really good job at it, too. We're again doing it through being a, a righteous, upstanding person that you're just, you know, the, the first one in at your job and the last one to leave and you never so much as stolen a paperclip from, from where you work. Hey, that's, that's all well and good, but even the world thinks that they're good people. If you want to make a difference, if you want to make an impact, if you want to show people who Jesus is, that God is real. And that he's exactly who the Bible says he is, then love one another. Because everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God, and he that loveth not knoweth not God. Understand, family, the world can mimic every single trait and quality that we as Christians possess, except for one they can have morality, they can have kindness, they can have hospitality. They can have everything that we as Christians are supposed to have, but the one thing that they will never be able to mimic is genuine love. Genuine love. Why? Because love only comes from God. He is the only true source of love. And everything else is a cheap substitute. That's why people go looking for love in all the wrong places. You know, they they turn to guys or to girls to try and fill that void, that need. They run to alcohol and drugs. They do whatever they can to find and to fill that need for love. But the world will never experience it unless you show it to them. Unless you allow God To overflow his love off of you onto the people that you come in contact with. How does that work out practically? Well, for this RA that Ben looked up to so much, it was as simple as this really caring about people. How often do you go through life and uh, you, you go throughout your day and people will come up to you and say, Hey man, how are you doing? It's like, Oh, good, okay, moving on. Like, they don't really care. For the record, if somebody just says like, hey, how are you doing? They don't want to hear it. They, they probably don't. And everyone knows that. Everyone knows that, that when someone says, hey, how are you doing? The appropriate response is good. Whether or not you're doing good, that is the appropriate response to give. And so how do you show love? Hey, man, how are you doing? Good. Right on. But hey, how are you really doing? What, what do you mean? I just I just told you I was good. Yeah, I, I heard you, but I really want to know how you're doing. Oh man, that will make such a radical impact in that person's life. That you took time out of your day to really care about how they were doing. That you see someone on the corner and you start a conversation with them, even if it's just small talk. Hey, how, how are you doing today? Oh, that's, that's rad man. Well, what you up to? That's good. Well, by the way, I'm, I'm Tyler, and I'm, I'm on my way. I'm going to do this, but I just wanted to say hi and tell you that Jesus loves you. I can make such a radical impact. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Where's that found? First John 4, 7, and 8. If you want to learn these scripture worship songs, you can go online to justjesusstuff.com. Justjesusstuff.com, that's the website for this Bible study. Uh, head over there and you can download the scripture worship album for free or you can get it off iTunes. It's Josh Thompson, uh, the father of this Bible study. And... A cappella and off-key, just like we were. So if you can't sing, you'll feel very much at home. Um, And if you can sing, praise God. Uh, You can also download, there's a couple of awesome uh, acoustic worship albums from there, as well as every single Bible study from the upper room, with just a couple exceptions. For the most part, everything that that comes off this microphone ends up online at JustJesusStuff.com. Why is it justjesusstuff.com? Because that's what we're about here. Just Jesus stuff. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Well, with that, I'm going to pray as we uh, as we get into this study. Father, I pray that, uh, that you'd really reign in this place. Because, God, we're here for you. This isn't about making an appearance, Lord. This is not about serving our time. Lord, we're here to meet you. We're here to hear from you, Lord. So God, I pray that you be in this place, speak to us from your word, and radically change our lives. God, you promise that your word does not return to you void without first accomplishing the purpose you set it forth for. And so, Lord, I pray that that would happen here tonight, that your word would accomplish the purpose that you have set it forth for, Lord. Bless us now in this time, in your precious son's name, precious son's name, amen. All right, Genesis chapter 9, Genesis chapter 9. I asked how many people were reading along, and it was a good number of people, but for those of you who haven't been reading along, I'm going to give a super quick recap. You know, like at the beginning of a TV show, like 24 or something like, well, I don't know if they do it on 24, I don't watch that show, but beginning of some TV show, they show you like what you've missed. If you didn't watch last week, well, that's what we're going to do. What you missed, if you haven't been reading along. When we were last here, we looked at Genesis chapter 2 and how God created man. Uh, Male and female, he created them in the image and likeness of God, right? Well, chapter 3, what happened? Man kind of messed that up, and we sinned. We broke the one rule that God had. God had one rule. He said, you can eat of all the trees of the garden except for one. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or you'll surely die. And so what did we do? We ate of at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, uh, and because of that sin, we now are sinful creatures because of that. Because Adam and Eve took that fruit, disobeyed God. We are now born in sin with a sinful nature uh, that's bent and driven toward sin, not toward God, not toward obedience, but toward disobedience, all because of that very day. Then as we read on in chapter four, we saw the first murder, Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's kids, right? What happened? Cain got jealous because Abel's sacrifice when he brought forth the first fruits of his livestock, that was accepted, but Cain sort of offered the leftovers of what he had and God didn't receive it. So he gets jealous, and he goes and he kills his brother over it. Then Adam and Eve have another kid. His name is Seth, and we read a little bit about this uh, on in the rest of chapter 4, and we we start to have a little bit of the genealogy that happens. Then chapter 5, that's all we have, genealogy, and I won't go into the really cool thing about it, but if you want to... Uh, if you want to see something really cool in Genesis chapter 5, which is a lot of times people skip over it because it's, and Enoch lived so long and begat so-and-so and, and on and on and on and, and all of these names that we can hardly pronounce. If you want to see something really cool, uh, you can go go to justjesusstuff.com, what we talked about. Just talked about that. Justjesusstuff.com. Click on devotionals and go to Genesis chapter 5. Read that. I promise you're going to be blown away. Blown away. It's sick. Genesis chapter 5. Um, then we moved on to chapter 6, and we have one of the greatest events in all of the world's history, the flood. Chapter 6 and 7, we talk about the flood, Noah and, uh, and the flood. Chapter 8 is when the flood subsides. We all think of uh, the flood being 40 days and 40 nights, right? 40 days and 40 nights it rained. The flood covered the whole face of the earth. Not even Mount Everest peaked over the water. There was so much water covering the earth. And we just think, oh, well, 40 days and 40 nights, that's not bad. But no, as we read, we see that Noah was in this boat with a bunch of animals for 150 days. He was in there for almost half a year. I don't know about you, but I'd start to feel like You forget about me, God? I mean, you said I was supposed to get in this boat and that you'd save me, but I think I would have rather died in the flood. I mean, at least I'd be quick. I mean, think about it. You have two of every kind of animal. What do you do with the doo-doo? I think it got probably awfully smelly in there. And and here's Noah sitting in this ark with his relatives. And I don't know about you, but I hate family reunions because relatives are... Well, they're sometimes a little bit annoying and and obnoxious. And uh, here's Noah, 150 days in this boat. Finally, though, the water subsides. The ark comes to rest. And uh, Noah sends out a raven, comes back. Sends out a raven, comes back. Sends out a dove, comes back with an olive branch. Sends out a dove again, and it never comes back. Never comes back. Then, we pick up now. We're going to start reading actually in chapter 8, verse 20. Because that's where it naturally sort of flows into our, into our text in chapter 9. So read with me in Genesis chapter 8 verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. As I give you, uh, and as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for, uh, we'll pause right there real quick. Sorry. Sorry to continue on, but we're going to break right there. So what happens is, flood subsides, and the animals are getting off, finally, dry land. And so what's the first thing that Noah does after he's been sitting in a boat for 150 days? It, it, I don't know about you, but if I was on any kind of anything like that for 150 days, the first thing I'd want would be either Chipotle or in and out uh, And it would take me a long time to decide which one I wanted, and I might go with both. But what's the very first thing that Noah does? He gets off the boat, he hits dry land, and the first thing that we record him doing is he goes and he builds an altar and he makes a sacrifice to the Lord. Man, this guy Noah was pretty stinking righteous, especially since all I'd be thinking about is food. And the first thing that Noah thinks to do is to bless God, is to bless God. And so that's what he does. He builds an altar And he sacrifices every type of clean animal and every type of clean bird to the Lord. And it was such a pleasing aroma to God. Noah's act was so sweet to the Lord that he said, he decided, I'm never going to do what I just did again. God even acknowledges here that still... Every intent in the heart of man is completely evil and wicked. He still recognizes that man is no better off now than before the flood. But he decides because of Noah's act of obedience, of love, and of worship, that he will never again destroy the the earth in a flood. Then he goes on, and he tells Noah and his sons, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. I love this, be fruitful. It uh, can also be translated as be blessed and multiply. Multiply. Um, just a quick note, children are always a blessing of the Lord. Always. No matter what situation it happens in, sometimes they're seen as more of a blessing than others. Um, maybe you have a brother or sister that you sort of joke around with, the younger sibling, and it's like, you were the oops kid. (laughs) Uh, Wow, that was more awkward than, than I thought. Like, this part of the room laughed. Thank you, that part of the room. The rest of you, were you oops kids? I'm sorry. My bad. Oh, yeah, you're a single child. That's fine. But uh, but no, every child is a blessing of the Lord. I love that God includes that in his word. Be fruitful or be blessed and multiply. Every kid is a blessing from God. Goes on to tell them, hey, now that the flood has happened, now all of the animals are going to live in dread of you. And as just before the flood, as I gave you every plant to eat when you were in the garden, now... Everything is yours to eat, but don't eat anything that's still alive. Don't eat anything that's still alive. The reason why God says this is this is how the animals eat, right? Cat kills a mouse and usually will, like, play with its food. And it'll eat this mouse while it's still alive. Sorry to be graphic if you're a mouse lover. Um, it'll It'll eat the mouse while it's still alive. God separates man like okay you're not like the animals all right you are not like the animals let me say again you are not like the animals don't eat anything that's still alive i think it's important to point out that god makes a distinction between man and animals because today in our culture that distinction isn't there um i was uh i was watching animal planet just recently and uh Animal Planet's slogan, or their logo that's on their, like, underneath Animal Planet, is it's surprisingly human. Animal Planet, surprisingly human. The world makes no distinction between man and animals. We're just higher evolved beasts, essentially. God makes the distinction in his word, and he says, you are not, you are not animals. This is how the animals eat. They, just, they, they don't even bother killing their food. They don't even bother preparing it. They just eat it alive. But you, you're not like that. That's not going to happen, okay? You can't eat an animal that's still alive, or as it says in the text, that still has its blood. Why? Because it says that the blood belonged to the Lord. We'll keep reading on now. Verse 5. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. This is a little bit touchy, controversial portion of scripture, because we're dealing with two things here. We're dealing first with the sanctity of human life, and second, we're dealing with the death penalty. I meet a lot of Christians that uh, will ask me my views on the death penalty, and some of them are are against it. No, the death penalty is wrong, that's, that's inhumane, and it doesn't value human life. But understand, the death penalty was established by God. Why? To protect the sanctity of human life. Nobody wants to die. Nobody in their right mind, I should say, wants to die. And so when the penalty in your mind is, if I kill that guy, my life is going to be required. Well, you're a lot less likely to commit murder But before we get into that a little bit more, it's important to talk about why life is so valuable. Why human life is valuable. There are two reasons why human life is valuable. And we've already talked about them. The less important one, I'm going backwards. The second reason is because, well, God has commanded us to love one another as we love ourselves. So, it's not an act of love to commit homicide. That's pretty straightforward. That needs no more explanation. But the thing that God chooses to point out in Scripture is that human life is valuable because we were created in the image of God. We are created in the image of God. We are. Human beings are a representation of God's nature. If somebody came in here right now and walked up, stood right next to me, and burned the American flag, how many people would be upset about that? Probably everybody in the room, right? Like you would have some serious issue with someone coming up and just burning the American flag. Why? It's just a piece of cloth. What's the big deal? It represents something. It represents this country, right? Our flag represents this country. It's made, in a sense, in the image of the country. It's a representation of this country. And so to burn the American flag is to make a statement saying that this country is not valuable, and I wish it didn't exist. If this country burned to the ground tomorrow, I would be a happy man. That's what what it means when you go and you burn an American flag. So now taking that analogy and, and putting it in our circumstance here, when you devalue human life, you're essentially devaluing God. You're devaluing God. That's why God is so upset about homicide and the devaluing of human life. Why? Because when you kill someone, when you take someone's life, you're effectively saying, this person created in the image of God, a representation of the nature of God, shouldn't be here. And so by extent, neither should God. God has given human life Great value by creating us in his image. This extends to a couple of issues that I just want to briefly talk about. And the first one is, I know I'm sort of preaching to the choir, especially about murder. I don't assume that any of you are, are looking to go out and murder somebody. I mean, if you are, come up, talk to me afterward. We'll, we'll pray for you. Um, but there's two important issues that I want to talk about. The first one is abortion. There are people in the church today, even who will tell you that abortion at a certain time period is okay, that it's acceptable, it's understandable, and especially in, an, in extenuating circumstances ex, blah, extenuating circumstances, such as the woman was raped or. The baby uh, could potentially the the mother could die in in giving birth. some Christians will say well it 's okay, I mean you, you have to do what you got to do to protect your life you know it 's a medical necessity you know that the baby's not much more than a tumor at that point and, you know you you get rid of a tumor, so do what you got to do understand family that in every circumstance in every circumstance. Abortion is murder. Abortion is murder. And so God deals just as strongly and sees just as strongly abortion as he sees murder because it's a devaluing of human life. It's a devaluing of human life when you look at a a sonogram of a precious child knit together in that mother's womb and you say, well, it's a fetus. It's a growth of cells and tissues that's devaluing human life. And when we do that, when we allow that in our minds as Christians, I I don't think that I'm necessarily uh, saying something new to you, but but it's important to talk about because it's in the word. When you devalue human life and you allow that to happen in your mind and in your heart, what you're doing is you're devaluing God. You're devaluing his nature, who he is. That's a problem. The second way that we oftentimes devalue human life, and I'm only going to briefly talk about this before we move on, is how we treat one another. It doesn't take murder to devalue someone. There are people, possibly, in your life that you completely just write off as unimportant meaningless, a drain on your existence. Maybe it's the guy, uh, the homeless guy on the corner. Maybe it's a family member who's just really caught in sin or a friend, close friend who's caught in sin and, and continues to make the wrong decisions and you just write that person off as a total screw up and that they'll never do anything good and they're just a, There's a second-class citizen. If they were gone tomorrow, it's not like anybody would cry about it. When you devalue someone like that, you're devaluing God because that person is made in his image. So what does that mean? What does that mean practically for us as Christians? Well, it means one thing. We need to love one another, right? That's what we're studying scripture about. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. You should be treating everyone that you come in contact with as a prince or a princess. A child of the living God created in his image. How have you loved today? Or how have you devalued someone in your life today? by not giving them the time of day, by writing them off. We're going to continue on now. Verse 7, God says again, but, and you, be fruitful and multiply, team on the earth and multiply in it. God says, all right, you know, we talked about the tough issue of death penalty, but don't, like, Hey, be respectful of life and just go multiply, fill the earth. Verse 8, Then God said to Noah and to his sons with them, Behold, I will establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you. As many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. We'll pause right there. We have something extremely interesting happening here, family. This is exciting. Pay close attention. This is the first time, anytime we see a first in scripture, which we'll see a few times since we're in Genesis, which is the book of Beginnings right on for those of you who remember last week the book of beginnings So since this is the book of beginnings, we're gonna see a lot of firsts Every time we see a first i'm going to stop And draw our attention to that. This is the first time something has happened This is exciting. This is the first time God has made a covenant with man This is the very first time that god has made a covenant with man. What's a covenant? Well, it's like a contract It's like a contract. We sign contracts to buy a house or a car or for a student loan that we're going to pay that back. We sign contracts sometimes for work that we're going to work for this company for X amount of time in such a way or fashion. Certain people make contracts for record deals, uh, which is really exciting for musicians. You know, they get their, their first contract. They get signed as an artist. It's a big deal. This is the first time that God makes a covenant with man. And there's three things that I want to point out out of this covenant that we should tuck in the back of our minds as we consider all of the covenants that God makes with us. The first thing about this covenant, the first thing that I want to point out is that it's universal. This covenant is universal. What is it? It's... Thank you, Gervais in the back. Love it. I told him I wouldn't pick on him tonight, but I'm sorry. I broke that promise. This covenant is universal. How do I know that? Well, we see it time and time again in the passage we just read. Specifically, we'll point out the last verse, verse 17, because it's the easiest to access there. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. This covenant is universal. This isn't just for Noah. This isn't just for Noah and his kids. This isn't just for Noah and his grandkids. This isn't just for a select group of people. This is for everybody. This covenant is universal. And in fact, we even read in the passage that this covenant is for even the birds and the beasts and all the earth. This covenant is universal. There's no one singled out, well, this is for you, but not for you. And for you, but not you. You? Not going to happen. Not for you. No, it's not like that. The covenant is universal. It's for everybody. The second thing I want to point out about this covenant, this covenant that God makes with man, it's referred to as the Noahic covenant because Noah's involved. God's speaking to Noah. The second thing that I want to point out is not only in this covenant universal, but it's unending. It's universal and it's unending. We see this in verse 12 there at the end that, oh, we'll just read the whole verse. And God said, this is a sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature, universal, that is with you for all future generations all future generations. This contract, this covenant is universal, and it's unending. It's unending. A lot of times when you go and you're going to, in some of the examples I gave, you're going to sign a contract for work. Professional athletes do this, right? They have a contract. Great example, Phil Jackson's contract just ended, right, this season. His contract with the Lakers came to an end. And he had the decision of whether or not he was going to continue to renew his contract. It was between him and the Lakers whether or not they were going to do that or if he was going to go work somewhere else. But for a period of time, I'm not sure how long it was, to be honest. I think it was like three or five years. Does anybody know how long his last contract was? No? Doesn't really matter. We'll say it was five years. Don't quote me. Um, for five years Phil Jackson signed a contract that said okay for five years I'm going to work for this team and I'm going to coach it and I'm going to do it to the best of my abilities and I'm not going to cop out after two months I'm going to serve my full five years but after that we'll see what happens this contract ends after five years or if you buy a car You sign a lease for a certain period of time that you're paying for that car for so many years. For a house, it's usually 15 to 30 years. For a car, it's usually somewhere around six. You sign a contract for a certain period of time. But this is not like that. This is not like that. There is no time clock on this contract. This is good forever. This contract never is voided. It never ends. There's no time stamp that it's like, okay, well, I'm not going to flood the earth for 500 years, but after 500 years, you better act straight because I'll rain down on you. It wasn't like that. This contract was, this covenant was unending. So what was the first thing that we said it was? It was universal. The second, it was unending. Thank you. It's like quiet murmuring. I'm okay with that, but next time let's like step it up an excitement level because I feel like I'm pretty excited and apparently I'm extremely boring because what I'm getting back from you is it's like, yeah, what's the second thing? Unending. I want to hear from you guys. So when I ask for it, interact with me, please. It keeps me interested. (laughs) That's right. The first thing, is it was universal. The second, it was unending. The third thing I want to point out about this covenant that God makes with man is that it's unhingent. It's unhingent. I don't know if that's a word. I might have just made it up. But the first two were used, and so I wanted to make the third one a you, and that was the best I could do. Unhingent. Um, I really have no idea if that's a word. If you want to look it up and Scrabble check me or something like that, That's fine, but I just said it. I made it a word. Unhingent. This is what I mean. Never in this passage, in this covenant, as God, in a sense, writes the contract down, never once do we see as long as, or if, or in so much as. It's not, hey, I'm never going to flood the earth again if you do the Macarena for me once every seven years. I, that just came to my head. I don't, I don't know. I was trying to think of something ridiculous and the Macarena was the most ridiculous thing I could think of. There's no if though. It's not, I'm not going to flood the earth as long as you obey. I'm not going to flood the earth as long as you sign or ratify this contract or covenant. I'm not going to flood the earth so long as you never do such and thus again. No, this had nothing to do with man. We didn't even have to acknowledge God's covenant. It was there no matter whether we liked it or not. I point out these three things about the Noahic covenant. The first is that it was universal. The second is that it was, thank you. The second is that it was unending. Awesome. That was really, I was feeling it there. And the third one is that it was unhingent, my made up word. The reason why I point these three things out is I want to really quickly take a look at, at these three things and how they apply to the new covenant. What's the new covenant, you ask? Well, that's the covenant that God has made with us as Christians through Christ. This is the covenant, the contract that Jesus signed in blood. And it's for us to be at peace with God, which is ultimately what this first covenant was about. Peace with God. The first We talked about is that it was universal. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. For the sins of the whole world. This wasn't just for you, but not you, like we talked about. It wasn't just for Aaron, but not Tyler. Jesus didn't just shed his blood for certain people and not others. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. His peace offering, his covenant of peace was universal. It was for everyone and everything that one day he would redeem creation back to himself. It's important to point out that we can refuse to live in peace with God. We can refuse what Jesus did on the cross We can refuse to walk in it. But nonetheless, it was for everyone. Universal. The second thing we looked at about this first covenant, the Noahic covenant, was that it was, what was it? Unending. That's my favorite part about what Jesus did on the cross is there's no end to the grace that he bought for us. There's no end to the forgiveness that he purchased on the cross. It's unending. It's not like, okay, well, you're forgiven for all of this, but if you cross this line, forget about it. You're not forgiven anymore. It's not like, okay, well, you're forgiven, and you can have peace with God for 800 years, but that's it. After that, we'll have to see what's up. No. The peace that Christ bought on the cross for us— To be reconciled with God was good for eternity. Eternity. It's unending the covenant that Jesus bought for us through the cross. It's unending. The third thing we looked at with the Noahic covenant is that it was unhingent. I mentioned earlier that we can choose to reject this peace offering. We can choose to reject God and live life our own way. But understand this, family, you can do nothing to earn salvation. Nothing. It's completely unhingent upon you. When God subsided the floodwaters and Noah made his sacrifice, God said, he pointed out, even though every intent of man's heart is completely wicked, he is totally evil and sinful, I'm going to make a covenant with him. I love that family because the same is true for us in Christ. God understands that you, where you're at, are still sinful and so he'll take you just how you are. There's nothing that you can ever do or will ever do to earn salvation And the negative of that, the flip side of that, is that there's nothing you could ever do to lose salvation. Lots of people will will argue about that. Oh, well, can a person lose their salvation? My question for them is this. What did you do to earn it? Well, nothing. Then there's nothing you can do to unearn it. This covenant that we have in Christ, of being reconciled to God, is completely unhingent upon our works. All we have to do is receive it. All we have to do is receive what Christ did on the cross. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you will be saved. Go your way and sin no more. You're free from sin. Understand, with that, people get wrapped up in, okay, well, I'm a Christian, so I have to stop sinning. No, you're missing it. You're a Christian, so you get to stop sinning. That was part of what Jesus did on the cross. That's part of the contract, is you're now free from sin. Before in the world, you didn't have a choice. All you could do was sin. Now, you're free from it. It's not an obligation to stop sinning. If you're a true Christian, if you have truly given your heart and life to Jesus and received this free covenant, you're going to want to stop sinning. And you can because of what he did on the cross. Not only was God's covenant with Noah the first covenant, The first covenant, remember, firsts are important because they tell us a lot about every other time something happens in the Bible. Not only was God's first covenant with man, number one, universal, thank you. Number two, unending. Number three, unhingent. That's right. Not only was God's first covenant with man, universal, unending, and unhingent. But his covenant with us through Christ, the new covenant, the final covenant, is universal. It's unending, and it's unhingent upon what we do. Praise God for that. Amen? Let's continue reading on, though. Okay, I'm still doing good. Wait. Okay, yeah. (laughs) I got scared. I felt like it was 9.30, and I was like, oh my gosh, I went 30 minutes over. But we're good. We're good. We're doing good, right? You're still tracking? Okay. Thank you. Gerbe in the corner. Love the enthusiasm. Verse 18. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. We'll pause right there. Why is this pointed out? Who wrote the book of Genesis? Moses, right? What was Moses job. What was he going to do? He was to take the children of Egypt, or take the children of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. Who was living in the promised land? The Canaanites. Okay, so why is this little parenthetical citation? I remember that from English class in high school. Just means that there's something in parentheses. (laughs) Really fancy way to say that. What is this little section, this parenthetical citation? Why is it important? Why did Moses choose to add this? Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. Because Moses wants to remind everyone who's listening, this is the father of the people that we are going in the land to dispossess. We're going in to take their land. Why? Because it's talked about in scripture that the Canaanites were completely depraved. They were a jacked up set of people jacked up. If you want to read about it, go to Leviticus 8. Leviticus 8. You can read about the Canaanites and some of the twisted things that they were doing. And so, this guy Ham must be pretty important if Moses makes it a point to say that Ham was the father of Canaan. But we'll keep reading. Verse 19. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. I want to pause right there real quick. Interesting wording. I'm not going to go too much into it because it's a little bit mystical. But I do want to point out that verse 20, Noah began to be a man of the soil. Sometimes, family, we can get from a point of being completely sold out for God and living for him. And we come down off of this epic storm of being trapped in a boat for 150 days while the rest of the earth was completely wiped out. And we get off and we have this great picturesque moment of worshiping God and being completely righteous and sinless. And somehow along the way, we become men and women of the soil. Keep this in the back of your mind as we keep reading. Verse 21, so he planted a vineyard. Verse 21, he drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. We'll pause again. I know we're not getting very far between pauses. I'm sorry, but it requires some explanation. A lot of scholars will say today, and some pastors will preach from the pulpit, that Noah was just a little confused and he didn't know that wine would make you drunk like that, and so he just, you know, was drinking some fruit of his labor, and uh uh-oh. He was the first guy to ever get drunk. How could he know? Understand this, family. That's not the case. That's not what happened here. No. (laughs) Vineyards take an exceptionally long time to yield fruit. It takes between five and seven years before you get really good usable grapes to use to make good wine. Before that, you ferment it, it's alcoholic, it'll still get you tipsy, but it doesn't taste very good. So Moses had been making wine for quite a few years at this point. Quite a few years. And he finds himself enjoying a little bit too much the fruit of the vine. He gets drunk, and it says here that he lay he drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. That, in the in the Hebrew, when it says that he lay uncovered, the way the the Hebrew grammar works, what what's going on here is that he uncovered himself. It's a reflexive verb, which means he actually did it. So he gets drunk, he walks into his tent, he strips naked, and he passes out. That's what happens. Then, verse 22, Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward and they did not see their father's nakedness. We'll pause. Many of your translations when it says that Shem and Japheth Uh, walk backward with a garment, many of your translations or some of your translations will say the garment. This is a better translation of it. It's not a garment, it's the garment. I point that out because here's what happens. Noah gets drunk, strips naked, passes out in his tent, and in walks Ham, his son. Ham sees his dad passed out on the floor, clearly drunk, probably drooling a little bit, and stark naked. Instead of taking care of dad, he grabs his dad's shirt, he grabs his garment, and he runs outside the tent, and he says, hey, Shem, Japheth, you gotta check this out, look, this is dad's cloak. He just passed out. He got so drunk that he passed out naked. Yeah, the man of God, you know, like this great guy that he found favor in God's eyes and was a totally righteous man, completely great with God and, and, and had that awesome time of, of worshiping Jesus. Yeah, that guy, yeah, he got drunk and he's naked now. He uncovers the nakedness of his father. See, Noah uncovered himself, right? He, he was the one who sinned. He got drunk. He uncovered himself. But then Ham went the extra mile to uncover his father's nakedness. So what does Shem and Japheth do? Well, they grab their dad's garment. They grab his cloak. And they put it on one, like one corner on one of their shoulders and the other on the other. So they're sort of walking backward with Ham and Japheth. And the cloak's in between them. And they walk backwards without looking back. And they just sort of drop the cloak on their dad and cover him up. There are two types of Christians in the world. And there are two types of Christians, I would dare say, in this room. The first kind are affectionately known as sin sniffers. They make it their job, their duty, their joy, their pleasure to go around and figure out the dirt on other people. Maybe they weren't even necessarily looking for it, but they find some dirt on somebody. And so what do they do? They do one of two things. The first is they go and they gossip about that person and they tell everyone they know, you'll never guess what I heard. I heard Pastor <clears throat> went out and got totally drunk. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I saw him. I saw him at the bar. It was unreal. He was having a beer. I I can't believe it. They go and they gossip about that person. You'll never guess what happened. Okay, so the other day, you know that usher? Yeah, the one that always, you know, yeah, okay, well, I saw him. He was smoking a pack of cigarettes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so I, I can't believe that someone, you know, like in that position would do something so inherently sinful. Or the second thing they do, instead of subtly and secretly gossiping about that person and spreading rumors about them what they'll do is they'll find out someone's sin find out a point where they have stumbled and fallen and what do they do they go running and they blow the horn on that person and they tell everybody they find their boss and they call him you'll never believe what i what i have witnessed or what i heard the person who serves under you. This is what they did, and they expose or uncover their nakedness. They uncover their nakedness. As we're going to see, as we read on about Shem and Japheth and Ham, there is no blessing in being a sin sniffer. There's no blessing in going around and uncovering people's nakedness, uncovering their sin, and exposing to the world all the dirty things that they've done. Understand this, family. Noah was a godly man. He was a righteous man. He made it into the hall of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, he found favor in God's eyes. And it says in the word, that Noah walked with God. Noah walked with God. There's only one other person in the entire Bible that that can be said of, that they walked with God, and it was Enoch, Noah's grandpa. That was the guy who went to heaven without even dying. So if that could be said of Enoch, that Enoch walked with God, if you can say that of Noah, Noah is a pretty righteous, godly man. Please understand, family, Noah was not your run-of-the-mill heathen dog. He wasn't some punk, some buster who's living a double life. Noah was a godly man. And his life, his mistakes serves as not only a warning to us, but also an encouragement to us. First of all, a warning in that I don't care where you're at, I don't care what position of leadership or godly spirituality you have, you are capable of falling. I am capable of failing at any moment. Just because I stand behind this microphone doesn't mean that I'm immune from sin. It doesn't mean that I'm sinless. It does not mean that I'm wholly righteous or more sanctified than some of you in this room or most of you in this room. It doesn't mean that one bit and it doesn't mean that I am unsusceptible or immune to temptation. We could all fall at any moment. I don't care who you are, where you are, we could all fall at any moment. If Noah, this godly, godly man, righteous in God's eyes, if he could fall at any moment, how much more could I fall at any moment? I'll tell you what, I am not in the league or the category of Noah and Enoch. I'm not. And so if Noah can mess up big, You can too, and so can I. Watch out. Take heed. If anyone thinks he's strong, take heed lest he fall. Not only is it a warning, but it's an encouragement. When you do fall, you're not alone, you're not the scum of the earth, you're not unforgivable. Remember, there's, it's, the covenant is unhingent upon us and what we do. There's nothing we can do to unearn God's favor, God's love, God's grace. Nothing we could ever do to unearn it. It's unhingent upon us. And so if you're here today and you're broken because you found yourself like Noah, uncovering your nakedness, clothing yourself in shame, family be encouraged, you're not alone, and you're not beyond God working in and through your life. We're human. The intent of our heart is completely sinful and wicked. If you've sinned today, welcome to the club. This doesn't mean that we accept sin and that we continue to live in it. It's another important thing to point out that we don't see in scripture, Moses was an alcoholic. We don't see that. He wasn't a drunkard. He got a little carried away and he fell into sin. We're all prone to that family. So getting back to Noah's sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Ham was a sin sniffer. He uncovered his father's nakedness and he went out and paraded it to his brothers, right? He brought out the garment, the proof. Look what dad did. Can you believe it? Go check him out. He's laying naked in the tent. What do Shem and Japheth do? They choose to cover their father's nakedness. We're told in Peter that love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. Again, what? What's the lens that we're studying the Bible through? Two things: the two grace commandments. What's the first? It's to, Amen. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We'll shorten it from now on. Any time I ask you, we'll just shorten it to love God because it's quicker. And when it's super long repetition, like people get lost and talking over each other, and it starts out with love God's. So we'll just shorten it to love God, and all will remind us that it's love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. So the first is to love God, and the second is to love others, is what we'll say. Because that's just easy. Love God, love others, right? Love God, love others. If love covers a multitude of sins, and we're called to love others, that means that we should be like uh, Japheth and I totally blanked on his name, Shem. Shem and Japheth, I wanted to say ham and I knew that that was wrong. Shem and Japheth, and we need to cover one another's sin. Understand this, family. There's a couple of important things to point out about this. It doesn't mean that we cover up for each other. It doesn't mean that when we see someone continuing living in a cycle and a pattern of sin, that we just pretend like it's not happening. We don't just pretend like Johnny's not a drunk. We don't do that. I just got really scared. Is there someone here named Johnny? I'm really sorry if there is. I'm sorry. I don't mean you. It's just the generic name, okay? My middle name's John. I don't know why that flustered me so bad. It's because Aaron's laughing and I got scared. I don't know. Aaron, never laugh again. I'm just kidding. No, we don't forget about it and just pretend like it's not happening. If someone is continuing in sin, if they're willingly going on sinning and they're living their life in a pattern of sin, we need to go up to them privately, confidently, and lovingly tell them, hey, you can't be doing this, man. See, it would have been one thing if Ham would have went to his dad and said, dad, I found you drunk and naked. What's, what's the deal? It doesn't mean that we let sin slide. We can definitely go and talk to that person in love and in privacy and exhort them using God's word. But what it does mean is we don't tell other people about their faults, failures, sins, and situations. We don't go around making prominent their problems. We don't make it a point to put them down. But we lift them up. We encourage them. We say great things about them and we praise them to people. Why? Because once again, going back to the beginning of this study, they're made in God's image, forgiven by him. And if you've been greatly forgiven, you should forgive greatly. So family, we should not be uncovering each other's nakedness. But we should be covering each other's faults and failures and sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. Another example is let's say you are serving at the church and your job is to work with one other guy to set up the chairs. And that's your job and his job to set up the chairs. And you show up and he doesn't show up to set up the chairs uncovering that person's sin would be going and telling everybody, yeah. I almost said something really bad. Um, I was going to use someone's name that is here, and then I realized, oh, that that person's here. (laughs) No, I will. I'll say Daniel because we both know I'm just going to clown on Daniel. I shouldn't go around saying, yeah, well, Daniel didn't show up to set up chairs today. I should just set up both portions of chairs and just pretend like he did it. That's covering that's covering each other's sin. It's covering each other's faults and failures. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. John thirteen thirty five. By this all will know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. Family, don't be like ham. Don't go around sniffing out people's sin. Don't, going, don't go around exposing people's nakedness. But because of what Christ has done for you, forgiving you of all your sin, forgive others. Put it out of your mind. Don't let yourself be down on people by exposing their faults and failures. Instead, build one another up and see how you can spur one another on towards love and good works. Amen? We'll wrap up this chapter. Ah. Uh. What verse was that? Thank you. 24. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew that his youngest son had done to him, he said, cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall be he, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. We'll pause right there. A couple of things. Sorry. I know I said that we'd wrap it up, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to pause. So get used to it. Pause right there is going to be one of the one of your least favorite things that's ever going to come out of my mouth. Or most favorite, I don't know. Why is it cursed be Canaan? Ham was the one who uncovered his father's nakedness, yet Noah wakes up, sees what his youngest son had done, and he says, cursed be Canaan. Here's the thing. Sometimes our decisions our poor choices, and even our sin affects our kids. Canaan was Ham's youngest son. And Ham's attitude of uncovering people's sin and being lewd and crude, extremely sexual and going around and exposing his father's nakedness, rubbed off on his son Canaan. And Canaan was a chip off the old block, just like his dad, Ham. And Noah saw that in Canaan and made a prophetic statement. Knew that his grandson Canaan would be just like his dad and said, cursed be Canaan. So often, our decisions affect our kids. And so we need to watch out, even now, uh, for those of you who don't have kids, if you do, hey, praise God, the decisions that you're making now obviously directly affect your children. If you choose not to feed them, they're going to starve and CPS is going to come. That's an example of your decisions negatively affecting your children. But for those of us who don't have kids right now, that's sort of a distant thing for me to say. Your decisions affect your children. Here's what I mean. Last week, we talked about divorce, really tough subject, and how you decide today whether or not you will ever get a divorce. I talked about how divorce will never even be a word that is spoken between me and my wife, and how when we get a family dictionary, I'm going to cut the word divorce out of it completely. The decisions you affect now shape your future and you can decide today or the decisions you make today rather will affect your kids. If you make it a point that you will never miss a Sunday service, neither will your kids. Why? Cuz you're going to drag them there. Even if they don't want to go. That's what my mom did. When I wasn't going to church, when I didn't want to go to church, I was sort of living how I wanted to. There was no option. You were going to church. It's Sunday. This is what we do. Get up, get out of bed, we're going to church. And by the way, we went to first service every Sunday. For a teenager, that's pretty awful. But my mom had purposed in her heart that I will go to church. and My kids are going to go too. But if you decide that it's okay if you miss three weeks in a row and you just sleep in and roll out of bed when you want to on Sundays and it's not really that big a deal if you go to church on Sunday morning. Hey, what's going to happen when you have kids? Well, they're going to be exactly the same way. They're going to rarely be in church. Why? Because you're their ride. And they're going to be raised with that not being important. The decisions you make very often affect your children and the decision that Ham makes Ham made to uncover his father's nakedness affected his son Canaan. Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, shall he be to his brothers. He also said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. Interesting. We'll pause again real quick. We curse Canaan for Ham's sin. We understand that now. And now Moses turns Not Moses, Noah. Have I been doing that a lot? No? Okay, good. I have? Okay, I tend to do that. I'm really sorry. I mix up people's names in the Bible all the time. Some people that aren't even in the story, and I don't know why. Jacob and Joseph, I mix their names up all the time. So, forgive me. Love covers a multitude of sins. Moving on. He also said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. I love that. When Noah turns after he curses Canaan for his father's sin, he turns to Shem, who, by the way, is the future Israel. The descendants of Shem, one of them was Abraham, and Abraham becomes Israel. Or Abraham is the father of Israel. Jacob becomes Israel, but you know what I mean. So here's Shem, the Ultimate descendant of Israel, and instead of blessing Shem, God turn, or Noah turns, pardon me, and says, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem. I love that. Why? Because anytime we do something right, anytime we do something that is pleasing to God, anytime we do anything that's not completely sinful, not completely wicked, it's God doing it in us and through us. When people come up to you and say, you are such a hard worker. Oh, praise God. Praise God. As Christians, we sort of, and you'll hear me say it a a lot. I say praise God for just about everything. But understand, it's not cliche to me when I say it. People come up to me and say, I found my keys, praise God. I got a raise at work, praise God. I got chicken and nuggets at McDonald's, praise God. I'm not being vain. I'm not being cliche when I say it. I'm legitimately praising the Lord because anything good in this, in this earth, anything good that could possibly come out of us is him. Hey man, great job on the message. Praise God. Praise God. Why? Because anything good that comes out of my life, blessed be the Lord God of Tyler because it's him that's done this in me. Hey, Ham, you uncovered my nakedness? Cursed be Canaan. Shem, you covered my nakedness. Blessed be the Lord God of Shem. Love that. Blessed be the Lord God of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. One more pause. Nowhere in scripture do we ever see the Jephethites, or the Gentile descendants of Japheth, ever dwelling in the tents of the Israelite sons of Shem. It doesn't happen in the Old Testament. We never see it. Noah pronounced this blessing. Hey, blessed be the descendants of Japheth and let them dwell in the tents of Shem and and multiply and be blessed. And we never see that. Understand this, family. We... The Gentiles. Because everyone who's not a son of Shem, because Shem is the father of Israel, everyone who's not a descendant of Shem, a descendant of Japheth, these are the Gentiles. We never saw in the Old Testament the sons of Japheth be blessed in dwelling in the covenant or the, the promise or the blessing that God made with Israel here until this new covenant that we talked about earlier, that we have now been grafted in. God goes on as we read through scripture to make these amazing covenants and promises and blessings to the children of Israel, to the future sons of Shem. And now we as Christians get to dwell and be blessed in the tents of Shem. We get to dwell and be blessed in that we are now grafted into God's promise that we are now his people just as Israel is his people. He is now our God just as he was Israel's God. We are now his children just as Israel are his precious children. Here, immediately after the flood, we see the promise of of the Gentiles, to be grafted in with the Jews in God's promise and in his providence. I love that. That's so special. I didn't want to miss that. and I didn't want you guys to miss it either. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years and he died. Quick wrap up. I always like to do this. I always like to wrap up for the most part if we have time. I like to wrap up what we went over. Why? Because we covered a lot. A whole chapter is a lot of text. And I've been up here talking for a really long time. And it's really important not only for you to remember what we talked about, but for me to remember what we talked about. And so when you repeat it back to me, I get to remember what it was that I just talked about for however long. So the first thing as we jumped into this, We took a look at the most important thing that that we took a look at there in the very beginning was the sanctity of life, right, and murder. Why is human life valuable? Because we are made in the image of God. This is the part where we respond. Because we are made in the image of God. I give you guys like one, maybe two more weeks, and you're going to get this. It's going to totally click, and you're going to know when I'm like asking for you to repeat back. I know it's still awkward at first, but work with me on it. Yeah. Human life is valuable. Why? Because we're created in the image of God. We're created in the image of God. And so when you devalue human life, you devalue God. You're saying essentially, God, your nature, who you are, and this representation of your nature is not worth much. Remember, we used the example of burning a flag. If you burn a flag, we'd all get ticked. Why? Because a flag represents America. When you devalue human life, you're devaluing what human life represents, and that's God, because we are made in his image. The next thing that we looked at was the Noahic Covenant, represented by the rainbow. I didn't talk much about it, but it was in the text. If you didn't pick that up, that's where the rainbow comes from. We looked at the Noahic Covenant. It was the first covenant. First covenant that God ever made with man. And we looked at three specific points about this covenant. They all started with "use." The first point was that it was universal. You guys are awesome. You must be taking notes. The second point is that it was unending. The third point is that it was unhingent. That's right, the made-up word. After we looked at the Noahic covenant, we we took a a look and a step back and we looked at the covenant that we now have in Christ. And we saw that not only was the first covenant with man universal, unending, and unhingent, but so is the covenant that Christ made with us. The contract that was signed in his blood It was universal. It's for everyone. It's unending. There's no time limit, no end to this covenant, and it's unhinged. It has nothing to do with us, right? We can do nothing to earn God's favor and love and grace and forgiveness. We can do nothing to lose it. After that, we looked at Noah, and Noah was a righteous man, right? He walked with God. Who else in the Bible can that be said of? Enoch. Awesome. Enoch walked with God. So did his grandson Noah. Noah was a righteous man, but he fell. He sinned. This serves as a warning to us to always watch our back, that no matter what position you are in life or in your walk, you can always fall. You can always mess up. You can always slip but it also serves as an encouragement that if you're at a place in your life where you're walking with the Lord and you've slipped and you're fallen, you're not alone, get back up, go your way and sin no more, family. You've been forgiven. Walk in that. Don't beat yourself up when you slip and fall, but continue to walk in the righteousness of Christ. After we looked at Noah, we looked at Remember he went, he uncovered his nakedness in his tent. He stripped down, got drunk, stripped down, passed out. Who walked in? Ham. And he grabbed his dad's shirt and ran out. And, hey guys, look what dad did. He totally got drunk, stripped down naked, and passed out. It's a riot. Come check this out. So his two brothers, first one was Shem, the other was Japheth kind of hard names, Shem and Japheth, they go in and they walk in backwards, right? And they drop the cloak on dear old dad and they cover up his nakedness. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. They covered his nakedness. And so we as Christians should not be like Ham, but we should be like Shem and Japheth, covering one another's sin. In love. Covering one another's mistakes. And looking to always build up and encourage rather than tear down and destroy one another. To wrap this up, I want to do one thing. I want to sing a song. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. But he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. God is love. Beloved, is love. let us love one another. First John 4, 7 and 8. Where's that found? You guys are so smart. <laughs> Such students of the word. You just knew where that was right off the bat. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. God, I pray that that's how we would be known. That as you said to your disciples, that everyone would know that we are Christians here at the upper room study. That everyone would know that we are Christians by our love for one another. That not only would we love each other, God, here at this study and be a tight-knit family that cares about each other, but that we would go out and we would love this world, that we would love them into your kingdom. God, I pray that we would not be like Ham, that we wouldn't go around sin-sniffing and exposing and pointing out and uncovering each other's nakedness, but that we would be like Shem and Japheth, Lord, always desiring to, in love, cover one another's sin. Jesus, thank you for what you did on the cross. The covenant that you paid for for us. The contract that you signed in your blood. Allowing us to have peace with God. To be able to have a relationship with you. We could never repay you. We could never pay for this. We we couldn't do anything possibly to earn this. And thank you so much that we don't need to that you offer this freely. Allow us to walk in it, to walk in your grace, in your peace, Lord, and in your perfection. Thank you for being perfect, Jesus, so we don't have to. Bless us as we go our way and teach us how we might love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love one another as we love ourselves. The Lord bless you and keep you. May God cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace, family.